What's up? What's up? What's up? It's your boy Chris Cox here, host of the Multiple Podcast Disorder Podcast, where we talk about anything and everything. Episode seven is brand new and gonna be a doozy. We hit you right in the feels today. I am gonna talk about the emotional impact of some of my favorite movies, TV shows, and anime cartoons and why they've impacted me on that level. Basically, I'm gonna talk about why these shows make me cry. So hopefully you're ready to listen because I'm ready to talk. Episode seven, up next. What's up? What's up? What's up? All right. We are back with episode seven of Multiple Podcast Disorder. Uh, We are going to talk about emotions. I know that's very hard. All the dudes are like, I'm done. I'm not listening to this anymore. (laughs) But we're going to talk about emotions and we're going to talk about how uh, movies, television shows, anime, cartoons, how they evoke that emotion or bring that emotion out of you and allow you to experience it. Um, And first, I want to say is for a long time in my life, I've been very cynical towards crying, meaning I I look at it as though or I used to look at it as, okay. there's two ways of or two reasons why people are crying. Either you're crying because you're trying to manipulate me or someone else or you actually are truly, really hurt either physically or emotionally. So it was just one end of the stretch one end of the spectrum or the other. There was no in between. There was no, you're crying because you're touched on such an emotional level that it makes you, you know, tear up or brings tears out, or you are um, legitimately crying because you're happy, sad, or that's how you process your emotions. So that was always very hard for me. I didn't really have an in between. It was either you're faking it or someone died like (laughs) that was the extent of how I saw tears and it was a lot of it is a product of how I grew up and and how crying was looked at but I've always had this weird fascination with myself because in private again watching movies or watching certain anime cartoons um, or tv shows I just bust out crying like tears streaming down the face not really understanding why or not really giving it too much thought until I got older. And so this was happening a lot. And so I kind of wanted to wonder why, why does this happen? Not necessarily why am I crying, but what is so poignant? What is so emotional about what I'm watching? And then what I realized is not necessarily what I'm watching. It's my investment in what I'm watching. It's how the movie, the show has gotten me to truly care for those characters or for that scene or for the people so that way when something happens or one or when the emotional music keys up and and gets into my soul and I'm next to you know I'm all in my feelings and I got tears running down my face so that's what today's episode is going to be about. And I, it's not going to be super emotional. I just want to talk about it because I feel like other people are out there and they may have that same thing where they watch a show that not 
maybe it's different. Maybe they watch something that someone else can watch a thousand times and it's just like, oh, that was a good show. And somebody else watches it once and they've got, you know, the waterworks come on. They're flooding their living room because they're so emotionally attached to what's going on. And I, I think that's with me. I think I see certain things in a movie or a TV show or an anime that maybe someone else doesn't pick up on. And so it emotionally, uh, I get emotionally invested. And so I feel like I want to cry about it. (laughs) So that's what we're going to talk about. So, you know, if you're ready, you want to cry about it, you want to fight me, whatever. No, (laughs) no. So we're going to talk about a couple of different shows. And one of the first ones, and I should say shows, movies, anime, because, you know, we talk about everything over here. One of the very first ones that I'm going to talk about is Major League. It's a movie. Uh, I know it's old, so if some of you are listening to it and you've never seen it, please uh, Google it. Please YouTube it. Uh, please go to um, uh, Amazon Prime or anywhere you can try to find it and look up Major League. It's a movie about baseball players, a movie about the Cleveland Indians. Uh, and what happens in it is that the Cleveland Indians are bad. Of course, if you live in Cleveland, uh, there's been a couple years that Cleveland Indians have been bad and some really good years, especially in the mid nineties. Um, but they're bad. And so they get new ownership and new ownership wants to move it to, they want to go to Miami. They don't want to be in Cleveland anymore. So basically they get a roster full of the bummiest, old age players, a bunch of rookies nobody heard of, and they put together this team. Uh, Wesley Snipes is in it. It's a great movie. Charlie Sheen is in it. Plays Wild Thing. Uh, one, one of his really good roles. Like I really like Charlie Sheen in the role. I love Wesley Snipes in it. It's Willie Mays Hayes. Uh, I mean, who <laughs> who doesn't love him showing up to uh, training camp uninvited? Find the the security guards find out he's not invited to camp. They just move his bed outside of camp. And then he hears practices going on and they're running 40 yard dash races. And he comes in, runs it in some silk pajamas and beats everybody out and earns a spot on the team. Like I, I, that's a cool scene. I mean, and that's not the emotional scene. That's not the scene that makes me want to cry. <laughs> and uh, so just a, a, a brief kind of overview of the show. So they're either they've never had a chance or they've had a chance and they lost it. And one of the characters, Jake, and it follows his progression of the movie, his storyline, his story arc. Uh, he he was a really good ball player at one point in time, and his knees are really bad. He's on the decline. You know, he's up there in age, but he's a super smart ball player. He can still play. He's kind of like the coach on the field. And, of course, he's the catcher, which usually is kind of that coaches on the field position or that manager on the field position. And they get to uh, they get to like a wild card game or who's going to determine to get into the playoffs. Assuming that no, they get into the championship game for the World Series. And um, they got to play the Yankees. The Yankees have kind of kicked their butt the whole season. And it's coming down to the final outs, final inning of the game. And so the scene that gets me so emotional and what I'll do is I'm going to actually play the audio from that scene because I think just the audio and the music itself elicits an emotion because the way the music kind of crescendos rises up, 
they did a, the the musician and the audio technician on the movie did a great job of also blending in the crowd sounds. Uh, Bob Euchre, who <laughs> was awesome in the movie, um, blending in him talking to the uh, you know trying to call the game play by play, but also being involved in, in the moment of the situation. So I'm gonna let you guys hear the audio and then I'm gonna come back in. Here comes the 1 1 pitch. <clears throat> Taylor Bunt. doesn't that just like mm, as a sports lover and I, I think I'll go with this as a sports lover as a person who's loved sports from the time they were little until right now like I love sports to understand what he's going through at that very moment a He's using his brain. He's using his collective knowledge of the game of baseball to give himself an advantage mentally where he doesn't necessarily have one physically. Right. And I didn't. And, and, I, and I'll kind of rewind just a little bit. This scene didn't make me cry as a kid. As a kid, it was like, oh, man, this is a cool scene. I just love Major League. It's a funny movie. They have curses in it. And my dad lets me watch it. Right. As I got closer and closer to adulthood, so I think around like 21, 22, I remember watching this movie again on TV. No, actually, I had it on DVD. Sorry. I remember watching because I, I went and purchased it on DVD. So I remember watching it on DVD in my dorm room by myself, and I remember crying because at that point in time, I could truly empathize and understand his pain of when he ran he gave everything he possibly had in his body mentally 
physically, emotionally to run down to first base to beat that ball out to first base. Basically, he gave his knees. Like he's like, like when he gets there and falls down, and, and you can't see it because it's not a video podcast yet. But when he gets and he runs and gives every effort he can, and the camera is really has a nice close up on his face and the straining effort he makes to get to first base to beat out the throw. And then he's like running so hard, he basically steps on first base, trips, cracks both knees on the ground, and it's just like as he falls, you can tell he's given everything he's had to baseball at that moment. And not just for him, but for his teammates, for those young guys that may never, ever get a chance to do this again, for the old guys that, again, may never get a chance to do this again. And then for the people in the stadium, which was shot in old uh, municipal Milwaukee stadium. Actually, it wasn't shot in Cleveland. It was actually shot in Milwaukee. And I learned that because I lived in Wisconsin and that was a really big thing. Oh, excuse me, County Stadium. So it was a really big thing that like Wisconsin held on to for a long time before they tore that down and pull up Miller, Miller Stadium, which is now no longer Miller Stadium. Uh, it's it's somewhere it's something else now they just renamed it um but you can but as an adult i can see that because you, you know me being in college at the time i understood what it was like to try to give everything you had to your teammates or give everything you had to your fans and because it was it was when you play a sport and when you play it long you when people you really do lose yourself it's no longer about you and you know there's some players that everything is about them but for a lot of times especially when you're on the you're on the way out <laughs> like your your skills are diminishing you're older you naturally just get slower or a little bit a little bit weaker or whatever it may be but your mental skills have gotten better because you've seen so much in the game. So you find little ways to be better than someone else. It was really cool to see that. And it was really emotional to me. It, like it, it hit me, you know, everybody says, you know, I got in my feelings. Or I was in my chest or it hit you in the feels. It really did because I could see the way they filmed it. Someone was a lover of sports. Like they loved sports. And they understood the juxtaposition between skill and intelligence and heart and emotion. And so when I saw, you know, when I watched it and saw him run that bunt, because, you know, he points out like he's going to hit a home run like Babe Ruth. And then he has everybody kind of backing up and he lays down a bunt. And everybody's like, oh, shit, it's a bunt. And, you know, he's not the fastest guy on the team. And he runs it out and gets it to first. He allows Willie Mays Hayes to steal. They come home. They win the game. And it was a great moment because when they score and they win the game, excuse me, you could tell he had this look of, I get to do it again. I, I get to play another game of baseball. You know what I'm saying? So it's not this, oh, we get this money, or oh, we're going to versus, or oh, we're going to playoffs. It was, I get to play again with these guys. I get to play another game, another game with these 
group of wild and crazy guys that are my brothers. And I think that, or at least me transferring that onto that movie and watching them hug each other and embrace each other as family more so than a team is what really, like, just, I mean, streaming. (laughs) Tears streaming down my face, you know, and... I I never really I wouldn't talk to anybody about it you know I wouldn't I would never say oh man I I cry at that scene but so this is like a real like you're getting a real look into me of who I am (laughs) Um, but it was just great it just made me feel good that there was something or someone out there that understood that sport is not just physical it's not just mental it's also very emotional and it's your emotional connectiveness or connectivity to your teammates and to your fans and to everything around you. So major league, the very first one, I think it came out in 1986. Um, the character Jake's played by Tom Berenger and really who's all, I mean, if anybody likes action movies, he's been in sniper. He's played a lot of good movies. He played kind of a cameo part in uh, training day as well. Uh, but he's I mean great actor been acting for forever he's still in movies today but I that is kind of one of his most iconic uh, movies and films and his um, iconic characters is Jake the catcher who by the, the time in the beginning of the movie when he gets called up or called back to Cleveland he was in the Mexican uh, winter league so awesome movie made me tear up made me cry it still gets me today and still makes me cry today so check it out if you want uh leave me some comments leave me a voice message however you want to do it but let me know what your favorite movie is that gets you teared up i kind of want to know that we can go back and forth and 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 see if there's any similarities or what the differences are what makes you cry in a in a movie and what makes you know versus what makes me cry so that's one of the first ones i think that's one of the first ones i realized that made me cry was the movie major league with tom berenger charlie sheen and wesley snipes so that was awesome my next film that i'm gonna get into and again because i love anime love martial arts films (laughs) uh i've been watching them forever and uh hopefully some of you have heard this this is uh this movie is called house of flying daggers this was a wonderfully shot movie and i wish i could show you the scene Uh, i'll play some of the music from it and you know hopefully i can find it (laughs) but i'll play some of the music from it This was a beautiful all-around film. I mean, I mean, literally, like, 
watching the movie was beautiful. The way the director used uh, colors to evoke a scene and how he used music. And it's, I don't want to say it's a violin, but I know it's a string instrument that they play throughout the movie and how it builds up and crescendos, but in a very quiet way. And you have to be paying attention to hear it. And the basis of the movie, it's, if you take away that it's a martial arts movie or it takes place in like the 1700s in the, in a certain dynasty, uh, and that it's a, a foreign film. If you take all that away from it, basically it starts off as a buddy cop film and it's an undercover cop film. Like it's, it's a police film. It's, it's basically if you strip it down to its, you know, basic, you know, X's and O's, it's a buddy cop police film. Uh, there's two officers, one who's a little bit older, one who's kind of his partner, who's kind of the brash playboy, you know, athletic, you know, like cowboy of the police force. Uh, um, and apparently they get in, they have a prisoner who is in, who's part of this big game, the uh, flying daggers. And they are like a political group. They, take out assassinations or they carry out assassinations. They uh, are rallying against the current government. Uh, They're fighting a guerrilla warfare fight. And so they think they have found, excuse me, they don't have her prisoner yet, but they think they have found the daughter, the blind daughter of the leader uh, or the old leader of the big gang, the flying daggers, flying daggers. So they develop this whole ruse of going in and the, the young cop, the young partner is going to act like a playboy at this uh, tea house, you know, and he's going to uh, pick this blind girl to sing for him. And then, you know, he fake, uh, it, I don't want to say fake assaults her, but basically he acts like a drunk patron and is trying to kiss her and take her clothes off. The older cop comes in, you know, basically he comes in and says, you know, I've heard you, the, you know, the blind master or the, the master's blind daughter. Let's play this game. So they play this kind of weird sound echo game where she dances and hit the drums to the sound of him throwing these peanuts around. It's a wonderfully shot, beautiful scene, especially with the colors, the angles and the music. So they eventually captured and she eventually starts to fight the older cop and he captures her. They have her as prisoner. So they say, well, how can they lead us back to the whole gang? How can we use the little fish to capture the big fish? So, of course, the young cop uh, develops this whole plan. Hey, I'm going to fake like I'm going to escape. I'm going to come in and save her because I'm, I'm a bandit and I'm going to take her out because I want to be part of the gang. And then you'll follow me when she leads me to the gang and it will arrest everybody. But of course, <laughs> like these movies always happen, he legitimately starts to fall in love with his quote unquote with the prisoner. And he legitimately starts to save her because now this is an undercover mission, right? He's undercover, but the other pr- provincial um, warriors, 
quote unquote uh, cops, they don't know that he is a provincial officer and uh, or guard. And so they're trying to kill him, too. So he is legitimately defending her in battle now and defending her honor. And of course, anybody knows when you in battle, you get closer and closer because you're saving each other's lives. So eventually they sleep together because that's of course, that's what happens. So they really do love each other. But what happens is the twist on the film is that the old cop is also undercover, but he's a like double agent. He's really part of the House of Flying Daggers. And the prisoner was really once his girlfriend before he went undercover as a provincial soldier. So it was really crazy. Yeah, so you find that out. And this is not a spoiler. This movie came out in 2001. So you should have seen it <laughs> by now. There is no spoilers. And um, so what's really cool is to see that twist and how he was angry because he loved her at one time, but she necessarily didn't love him back. So it was also a movie or a story of unrequited love. And how the young all young provincial soldier really does love her. And he doesn't even want to be a provincial soldier anymore. He's like, I just want to move somewhere and and make a little house and a farm and just love you for the rest of my life. And she wants that too. But then it turns out again, it's two friends with a woman in the middle, and so they start to fight each other. And the the part that was emotional for me and the part that would make me cry is a the music builds up at this part it's that that string instrument and i'm sorry i don't know the exact name of the instruments that's being played during the uh the score of the movie and these two friends who are like brothers who were partners are fighting over this one woman and they're both espousing their ideals as to why they should have the right to love her. And, but they're not yelling. They're not cursing each other. They're just, if you look at it with as much love as they love this one woman, that's how hard they're fighting each other. So it's almost an even battle because they both truly love this woman. And they're both cutting each other and basically killing each other. But as they're fighting, it, it, it changes. It, I don't want to say magically, but it changes from like a, like a cool day or a cold day and the snow starts to fall. They're fighting in the snow. The music is playing. And even though they're fighting each other, they're telling each other how much they thought one another was a brother. And why can't the other step away and let them be in love? And then, and then it comes to the fact when they both basically, all three of them basically just end it. They, ha- they fight, they stab each other, and they just lay in the snow. And they, it, it makes it kind of ambiguous, but it seems as though they all pass on together. And in that one moment that they were truly in love together. So, I mean, it's a crazy movie and it's a one, it's wonderful martial arts sequences. I think it was brilliantly acted. Um, the young actor 
that plays uh, the um, he plays the young officer or the young provincial soldier. He's one of my favorite actors. He actually plays in a movie called The Returner, which is a really good sci-fi movie. And uh, Zhang Ziyi, who she got really famous because she was in um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And she's played in a couple of other Americans. She was in also, she was in um, Rush Hour with uh, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Which should be Rush Hour 2. So she was kind of a big hit in America for a while. And she's done, she's kind of faded or took herself out of the limelight and kind of done a lot more movies in China. But a wonderfully acted film. And the emotion, the raw emotion in that scene and the conflict of I love you as a brother but I also love her as the love of my life and if that means you can no longer be my brother then I'm going to have to end you type of thing now most people say oh you know you got to be with your boy before your girl but at the same time it's a little different like everything was based on a lie so the fight was peeling off layers of the lie. So at the end, when the movie finally fades out, they're actually there together, lying in the snow, bleeding in the most purest form of their relationship. Like we are truly our brothers in battle now because everything's been stripped away and we truly are man and woman lovers because all the lies have been stripped away. So again, watching that, it came out when I was 20 years old, but in the end, watching that when I was like 21, 22, 23, and really taking time to understand that and under, and, or pick apart that scene, that was what emotionally hit me and would definitely make me cry. But yeah, House of Flying Daggers was that other movie. And another movie that came out a little bit before, right about the same time, was, a, was Hero. And Hero was with Jet Li. It was with a ton of other um, actors, but I know most people, if I say it was with Jet Li, and you see Jet Li and and um, uh, Zhang Ji or Zhang Ji Mu on the cover, you'll understand what that movie is. And that was also a heartfelt uh, movie as well. More so an emotional movie than a martial arts movie. Uh, but check that out as well. So here we are. <laughs> so I kind of went from baseball to martial arts and I really went deep into taking off the layers of relationship and being in purest form. Okay, I'm going to get into something a little bit lighthearted. <laughs> I don't want you guys thinking like, damn, man, I just come here for the anime and sports shit. This is crazy. No, but my next film or my next show that I will talk about that is emotional. It's a more of a recent one. And it is Voltron. As any of you know, if you've heard, listened to episode five uh, that I did with uh, my good friend uh, Majin West, the mustache Mashai, we did episode five a couple weeks ago, and we just talked about Voltron on Netflix as a whole. One of the season's episodes, and it was in season seven, uh, and it was to eight total seasons of that show on Netflix. In season seven, there was an episode in which uh, all of the Voltron pal paladins, excuse me, were just floating in space. 
And if anybody knows, if you spend time in a quiet, dark space, even though you're with other people, you can go a little nuts. You can go a little crazy. And in the episode, they call it space crazy. I mean, you know, why not? You're in space. It makes you crazy. You're space crazy. And um, in the episode, as they're all experiencing their own hallucinations, which after you after I watched it a lot of times, it was their their hallucinations were reflections of their feelings about each other. Uh, case in point, Hunk was very honest and said, which and Hunk is one of my favorite characters. Hunk is very honest and said that one of his dreams is to hopefully find Earth or get back to Earth and be able to pass on his role as a Voltron paladin. He he just really wants to be with his family. And that triggered a hallucination with uh, Keith, which is their leader at the time. And Keith was fighting off this force that was trying to tear all the paladins apart. And so that force was Keith's inner feelings that we're all going to break up and go our own separate ways. And I'll like never have the family that I've always wanted. And so that's, that's kind of the crazy of the space crazy. And that was just, that's just me watching it like 15 times and kind of breaking it down and, and, and looking into it. And so they all get mad at each other and they're like arguing with each other and they're calling each other names and again, Hunk is the only character that basically says we need to stop it. We can all tell each other what our fears are, our emotions are, but that doesn't mean we're going to leave one another. And in, in that moment, another uh, hallucination gets triggered and all of the other paladins, or all of the paladins, including Hunk, they see a hallucination of Earth. And they say, like, oh, we can make it. We can fly to Earth. We can get there with our booster packs. So they all start going towards Earth. And Hunk is the only one that's like, no, this is not it. It to be a single source. It looks like a planet. No way. It's Earth. That wave must have knocked us all the way across the universe. We're home. Where's the sun? Where's the other planets? Or the moon? Stop. This is too good to be true. Stop. Everybody stop. Hunk, what are you doing? Stop it, Hunk. No, no, something is wrong. Hunk, you're hallucinating. You're going space mad. Just let us take you home. No. Listen to yourselves. You're letting all of this get the better of you. There's no way that can be Earth. Just trust us, Hunk. You'll thank us when we get there. Let me go!
heck is that thing? Hunk was right. He saved us. Here it comes. to save his friends because there was something that was terrible that was going to happen he's able to mentally uh and emotionally manifest his weapon which is like this huge cannon and he just starts shooting at the um a mirage of earth and they all start yelling at him what are you doing what are you doing and he uses his jetpack to fly in front of them so they're standing behind him looking at his back and he's shooting his weapon and he's like, you guys need to get out of here. Just go. And then the, um, the barrage goes away, you know, it goes away and it's this huge space monster that's going to like, you know, tear into him and eat them all. And so they're all freaking out and he just turns to them. And that's the part that made me, it did it. I, I can be a grown, I'm a grown ass man. And I cried at a Netflix animated, uh, cartoon. <laughs> Uh, he turned to his friends and he just said, you guys got to go get out of here. And I'll play the audio because this will translate a little bit. So I'll play that audio for you guys to hear it. Boom. So you guys hear that he turned to his friends, told them to get out and I'll take care of it. And they all end up pulling him back. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm trying to save you. And they're like, well, how did you get your weapon? And he's like, I don't know. All I knew is I had to do it to protect you. And that really got to me because I think we we never access or we never access this power we have until we feel we need to use it to save someone else. I mean imagine what we could do if we realized we had to we could do it to save ourselves too. But it's like Hunk had this huge power within him or this ability to access this power. And he did it only because, or not only because, but he did it because he felt it was more important to save his friends, his family, his loved ones, than himself. And I think that was a big part of that episode. And it was a big part of that emotional core of the animated cartoon that i think makes people watch voltron like voltron is a major hit for netflix and it makes people watch it because it's more than just a cartoon it is anime it is wonderfully drawn it is wonderfully um voice acted the music is on point but also it was written in such an inspiring and emotional way on the level that it can, can connect with me someone who's super cynical about crying and make me cry while watching it so i it was just amazing to see that and to see that you could pick up that emotion from watching an animated uh episode on tv um, and, and suspend belief because it's about five just about teenage kids floating in space 
that ride in giant lions that can come together and transform a huge robot. So it's not like, oh, I can put myself in that position. Like realistically, physically, you're not going to be in space. But emotionally, I can put myself in that position and say, I would do what I needed to do for my friends and family. Like you just do things because it needs to be done. And he was able to do that because it needed to be done. So it was wonderful to see that and and experience that on an emotional level and make your boy over here get all teary-eyed and choked up about it. I mean, I'm choked up. <laughs> I'm trying to control being choked up talking about it. I mean, and there's so many other movies uh, or or cart or anime or carts. Like, I mean, if anybody's ever seen Tears of the Sun with Bruce Willis, this is a great movie. I mean, it's an action movie to start off with. It's a military movie, which I absolutely enjoy. But I mean, there's one scene where, you know, and it's only like seven Navy SEALs and they're fighting off a huge army. So that's also a big thing. I also love those scenes. The 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 few versus the many. And one of the characters who's just not say 50 50, but he was like, this is my job. So I'm not mad that we have to fight off all these people and I'm not happy we have to fight all these people. It's just my job. Tell me what you want me to do. You know, I'm the I'm the gun. You tell me to shoot. I shoot. Uh, but the scene that always gets me is he gets emotionally invested in it when he's he's trying to save all these people. And they're, they're trying to get these people over the border to Cameroon. And this one girl uh, falls down and she's just hiding behind this tree log. And she's like super scared because all these, you know, militia, guerrilla, just just littering it with like AK-47 fire. And he realizes she's not where she's supposed to be. So he goes back to get her, picks her up, puts her behind him. So she's like basically on his back. And I mean, this was the coolest thing I've ever seen in a movie. And honestly, in terms of like a military realistic firefight thing and, and trying to save someone. And so he is now walking backwards. Basically, he's a human shield for her. He is walking backwards and he is firing and like taking out all these guys. I mean, he has no cover. So like, I mean, a bullet or someone aiming well is going to catch him. And of course, he's firing, 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 runs out of bullets of his main weapon, starts shooting with his sidearm. You know, boom, 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 boom. He gets shot. Boom, just shot him. He takes like a bunch of bullets. So like not with his last breath but what you think is his last breath he pushes this girl tells her to run tragically she gets shot in the back and she falls down and here's where the emotional part for me where like i just lose it every time i see that scene or i look at that scene or even right now when i'm talking about it is with his last breath because there's like hundreds of soldiers running um he crawls to her and covers her body with his so she won't get trampled. And I mean, I lose it. Like, like I was about to say, dude, I lose it. But I lose it because it was just, again, it was such a selfless act that even in death and understanding he's going to die and she's going to die, he wants to preserve her so she's not getting mangled or stepped on or crushed. He's still trying to save her, protect her in some form of way. So, again, just amazing. 
I'm going to cut it off there because I can't electrocute myself with having only tears going to the microphone. So, again, I'm trying to keep it lighthearted, but this is a serious, like, look into how I look at movies and how I look at sound and, and how I look at the way a story can be told that hits you emotionally. I mean, it, it's just amazing. My And my last one, my, my last one for time, I promise my last one. And in the next episode, we're just going to talk about uh, anime, gummy bears, and all types of crazy stuff just to kind of cleanse the palate from this one. But uh, my last one, again, it's a more of a recent show. It's Marvel's Runaways, which is on Hulu. So, again, it's a wonderful show. And it, it, it's a superhero show. It's with teenagers, of course. That's the motif, you know, superheroes, teenagers. Uh, again, fighting the adults, not they're, they're rebelling against the adults, but it, for a good reason, because the adults are like super evil. And but it's not a superhero show on the level of like Avengers, where everyone has these cool superpowers. There's actually only two people that have a superpower out of the teenage group, out of the so-called runaways group. There's Molly, who actually has super strength. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm so bad, I can't remember her name. But there's one girl who's half alien, half human. She's a hybrid, and she actually has superpowers. Uh, I think it's Kara. I might be wrong. Don't quote me on that. I'm bad with the names. <laughs> but so there's actually only two. And, but they actually, the other group, use their intelligence uh actually gert uh which is molly's adopted sister she has a um she's a telepathic link with a dinosaur right well, like with, a, with an actual dinosaur so it's a crazy show uh one kid is very smart with electronics and computers and hacking another girl has a staff it's not magic but it is science but it comes out in the form of magic so it's a great show and they're teenagers and they live in California and it's in their second season. And the basic is their parents are in this organization that has killed these other runaway children and used them to uh, give extra life to this alien who wants to release all his alien um, family and take his ship out of uh, underground of Los Angeles, which will call Matt, which is caused massive, excuse me, massive earthquakes and kill a ton of people. So, the in the event of running away from their parents, fighting all these evil fights, trying to come to terms with their burgeoning adulthood, they forget Molly's birthday, the fact that she's going to turn sixteen. And Molly is uh, a Latina. And so she didn't get to have her, or she didn't turn 15, excuse me. And she doesn't get to have her quinceanera. And they miss it. And it's, it, quinceanera is a big thing. That's going from an, uh, a child, a girl, into the beginnings of womanhood. And so the group put together this party for her in the show of course they put together this party for her they make all these cool streamers they get her a dress and they celebrate her birthday and what was beautiful to me the very first time i watched it and what made me tear up was understanding two things was that with all of these adult things they're dealing with death aliens saving people 
fighting their parents, the people that gave them life, they still realize that they are a family. Even though the family that they knew their entire life has turned on them, they have become a family and they need to treat each other, treat each other as a family. And so what they've been able to do or what they decided to do was not let go of that. And we need to conduct ourselves as a family. And so Molly, you're going to get a quinceanera. I was eating my snack of apple slices and peanut butter. And my parents sat me down and they said, Kurt, we have life-changing news. Our little friend Molly. Well, she's going to be your sister now. And I remember thinking, finally, because I had always wanted either a sister or a puppy ever since I realized the only thing Barbie really does is wear outfits. And Molly Hayes Hernandez, you turn out to be so much better than a puppy. As you turn 15, one thing is becoming super clear. I didn't just get a sister. I got a hero, someone who teaches me and inspires me and lifts me up. And I think I speak for all of us when I say, Molly, thank you so much for being you. I love you, Moles. Kurt's right. We are family. And yet, no one can replace your mom and dad. I would be very proud of the person you are today. So, I would like to dedicate this dance to them. So that was beautiful, and, and, and Hulu did a great job uh, with the sound design and the music that they picked for this scene. Uh, it's a song called uh, We're Too Young to Grow Old by Alexandra, and it plays in the background, and it this wonderful moment where it goes from regular speed, 24 frames per second, to like a slow-mo, you know, like 120, 120 frames per second, and it's just everyone's dancing in slow-mo. These little glitter things are falling from the sky. And they're just having a wonderful time celebrating this quinceanera, but also celebrating that they're a family. The second part that makes it emotional to me is when you watch the show and you understand uh, that one of the main characters in the group who he actually gives the speech to Molly 
and you know tells her that she's grown into a beautiful woman and he wants to have her he wants to dance with her for her first dance you know going into womanhood the scene shows him in each shot he's getting further and further away from the group because as a viewer you know you've been you kind of get the sneak peek you know he's planning to leave the group he actually wants to go back to his family because he thinks they can be saved and so even though he dances with her but again each successive shot of the scene he's getting further and further and further away until finally at the end he's actually turned his back and is walking away from this family his young family the runaways and is going back to his parental family and it's it's very it's also emotionally explosive too because even though they're not married <laughs> he and gert are in a very uh deep relationship so technically molly's like a little sister so for him to have to turn his back and walk away is a serious emotional thing he has to do and so you as the viewer know that but everyone else doesn't know that so that's what makes that scene so poignant and so emotional and so lively because it goes from we've been fighting and dealing with death. We want to celebrate life. But now in the same breath of celebrating life and celebrating love and family, we're going to lose one of our family members. So, I mean, it was it was such an emotional scene and a well done scene again the music played a point like i i urge you guys go to youtube look up alexandra it's l x a n d r i a or just look up too too old to grow young uh marvel's runaways you'll find it it's pretty easy it's a wonderful song it's a wonderful scene and i will play that for you uh so that way you guys can hear that or i will have or hopefully you've already listened to it while i played it and it's just great it works on so many levels and the actual shooting of it i mean the editing of it to make it go from a normal 24 frames a second which is what we watch to slowing it down and seeing every nuance of the dance or every emotional aspect and smiles on this group's faces um juxtaposed with each additional shot as other group members are getting closer to each other and closer to molly uh the other young man is now leaving the group and he gets he continues to get further and further and further and further and further away so it just wonderful and how that all plays into evoking emotion from the viewer so I, again wonderful i urge you to check all these out please go check out major league uh you gotta it should be available on some streaming service tbs usually plays it like every other month or tnt so it's gotta be on that uh i think that came out in 1986 1986 1987 major league came out and then um voltron that's on netflix as well and uh that okay that's current right now house of flying daggers came out in 2001 can probably find that on a streaming service as well i urge you to check these movies out see if they evoke any type of emotion in you uh as well and marvel's runaways is on hulu so you can on hulu you can doubt you can watch both seasons uh, i'm not paid by any of these places but i just 
it's easy where to find them and i hope you can go watch them and i hope you catch me on facebook in the anchor community or leave me a voice message or leave me uh any type of uh review or message on um itunes or google play or spotify hit a brother up let me know watch these movies and see if they got an emotional response from you or if they didn't and let me know why i would appreciate that feedback but thank you guys for listening to episode seven of multiple podcast disorder i appreciate it so much again i'm your host chris cox and let's zone out or let's end out to some really cool music from the end of uh ending scenes of one of my favorite animes it's called samurai shampoo so let the beat drop and peace